This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're joined today by a brilliant leader who's got a fascinating background. We're joined today by Dr. Nick Restrepo. Nick serves as the Vice President of Medical Affairs at Valley Health. He's also an engineering grad from the John Hopkins School. Uh, he's a Penn State Nittany Lion uh, and, and, and also uh, UVA Medical School, as well as the Catholic University of America for undergraduate. What a fascinating background. Dr. Restrepo, how did you combine engineering with medicine, talk to us a little bit about that and 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 some of your thoughts there. I, I'd be happy to. So uh, it's been it's been it's been an interesting journey. I I uh, am a urologist by training, uh, and as you mentioned, those are the schools I've attended. Um, and I was in practice for uh, approximately 15 years in Winchester, Virginia, which sits in the northern part of the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Uh, when I was asked to serve as vice president of medical affairs at Winchester Medical Center which is the flagship hospital of Valley Health System. And uh, I, I served in that role um, and, and uh, learned an extraordinary amount uh, during my time in that role. And I, I've actually, over the past couple of years, migrated over to becoming the chief quality and patient safety officer uh, for Valley Health. And one of the things that, that uh, you know, I, I did, I guess, rather than my education, I did the traditional you know, undergraduate uh, medical school residency practice trajectory. Uh, and when I was in a leadership role, one of the things that interested me a, a lot was the manner in which systems uh, interfa- which systems drove care uh, and how systems could improve care um, at every level of, of the healthcare uh, uh, system. And I pursued and received a master's of health systems uh, engineering from Johns Hopkins, as you mentioned, uh, just actually graduated not long ago, back in May. Um, so I was a, a, a late career uh, student um, and that helped bring together a lot of my learnings from the practical standpoint into a more structured process by going through that educational uh, program that, that I was fortunate enough to, to do uh, and has somewhat gelled together the role that systems play and system of systems play in, in our healthcare uh, throughout this country. And, and you can take it from the bedside all the way to the national level and understand things in a in a um, kind of unique lens by applying those systems engineering principles to healthcare. And let me ask a question about back to school and taking classes again. Were most of the students traditional grad students, or is it all different ages in that program? And how does it feel? Like you're about the same age as I am. How does it feel to go back to school? Was it hard? Was it how did, how did that? Because obviously a great school as well. How, how did, what were some of your thoughts on that? It was a, uh, it, it was, it was a unique experience. So, so I, I started school right as the pandemic started. So I, I started the program in January of 2020. Uh, and then in March, 2020, I spent the next couple of years leading our command center for our hospital based care of COVID. Um, and so it was, it was a rather unique time to be doing that. Uh, but I was able to do this educational program. I took classes every semester. I did it at my own pace, um, and I I only you know I only bit off what I could chew. I, and so it took me you know, a little over three years to complete the program. 
there there's all ages within that program. I was in pretty much every class. I was the oldest uh, student by a good bit. Many of the students were were my classmates were the age of my children, um, and I think I was older than all, but maybe one professor. Um, but other than the uh, kind of getting back up to speed with some of the technologies that you needed for the educational process, they, they made the program was structured in a way that it was it was very doable. Um, and and again, it was a great experience and met a lot of colleagues throughout the country that are in other types of healthcare systems or, or other parts of our of our healthcare system nationally uh, that were also students, and, and so forced some interesting relationships through that as well. Fascinating. I'm going to ask you one more question about that. Now, if I had through the kind of reading I had when I was in undergraduate or law school, I think it would be very challenging for me today. Was, was that a challenge or, or fine, or did you find it fine and, and able to do it in process stuff like you used to and so forth? Like now, I need reading glasses and lots of other things. But but how did that how did that feel? <laughs> it was it was a challenge. Um, they they use a variety of modalities to educate you in terms of videos, but there's a good bit of reading associated with some of the courses. Um, and that it, it was, uh, it, I mean, it took many hours to read through things. Um, in general, one of the big differences between now and when I was uh, in school, kind of in the more of the traditional path, is the availability of information at your fingertips is remarkable. You know, you and I remember back in the days, you'd go to the library, you'd have to go look something up in a card catalog system and run into the stacks and find your journals. Uh, now, you, now a couple clicks on the computer and you've got the journal popped up right in front of you. Um, and so the efficiency of being a student is significantly better than it was when we were we were uh, in school back in the day. Uh, and also, you know, control F on a computer helps you find things within a book pretty quickly um, where so, so there's some efficiencies with some of the modern technology being applied in the educational world that that eased some of the pain. But it was certainly challenging. Amazing. Well, congratulations. That's an amazing effort. I, I applaud you on it. That's fantastic. Talk about the role of, of in charge of medical affairs and sort of what, what are the core things you worry about in the role or are focused on and most excited about? Um, yeah, so, so um, one of the things that most excited me was, was as well, let me give you a little bit of background. As I transitioned from being in practice in a community in which I'd lived for 15 years and practiced in the same hospital for 15 years, um, then you go into an administrative role and you start seeing other parts of the organization that you don't have the same sort of lens on as when you were happily practicing. And you start realizing there's opportunities to eliminate harm um, and, and the importance of the well-being of the team. Uh, and so over, over the time that I've been in this in these roles, uh, it really has um, uh, excited me to work with folks at the bedside that provide the care and try putting systems in place to make it easier to provide the care, to support them in a way that um, that the culture on that unit is such that they can work together to get superior outcomes. Uh, and we've done a lot of that in our organization, particularly over the past few years that I'm very proud of. Uh, and that that's what excites me in this role. It's very different than being a urologist, a surgeon, where you have Kind of the immediate gratification of relieving somebody's problem. Uh, it's more of a more of a long game, uh, but uh, it's it's another set of opportunities and, and wonderful things that you get to be a part of uh, that I found very uh, very uplifting during the, this part of my career. And, and talk about that for a moment, because so many people, for a period of their professional life, are practitioners, like you talked about, a urologist practitioner, and then you move to sort of a management leadership role. And sometimes it's hard because you don't get the immediate dopamine fix of having fixed a patient that day. It's more you're processing a lot of things. 
and trying to find satisfaction there. At the same time, as at least for me, there's there's uh, pleasure in a different kind of stress that you have at a different level of life than you had when you're just hardcore practicing. But talk about that transitioning to sort of management leadership versus direct practicing just a little bit further, if you don't mind. Yeah, so, so it is a uh, it is absolutely a transition. I think for for physicians to go into uh, the hospital leadership or healthcare leadership, um, uh, being a surgeon, that that problem's probably more acute than it would be being an internist. Um, so internists get a lot of satisfaction from seeing progress with their patients' care and their hypertension control, cholesterol control, et cetera, over the course of you know months and years. Where in the surgical world, it's more of an immediate gratification type specialty in general. And, and as you transition into these leadership roles, um, there's less of that immediate gratification unless you go looking for it. Uh, and so, so I think that one of the things is that just those little small victories uh, of working with people and, and uh, you know, changing the course of how something's being done in part of the organization, um, you don't need to just wait to celebrate the final outcome. It's that engaging of an individual and saying, you know, seeing the light bulb go on with them and say, hey, we can do this differently. We can do this better. You start finding... Um, those small victories as being the more of immediate gratification. And then over time uh, you share it with them in the, in the, you know, in the joy really that they see in the fruition of their work uh, leading to positively impacting people's lives over time. Thank you. Just fascinating actually. And, and Dr. Restrepo talk a little bit about if you head into 2024, what are you most focused on and excited about? Um, quite frankly, most focused on the continued well-being of the people taking care of the patients. You know, we, we've had an organizational focus on that, uh, in particular over the past three years or so. Right around the time the pandemic started, we had a, a leadership transition at the CEO level, um, and one of the he's done several things to move the organization forward in a positive way. One is to you know narrow the focus of what we're what we're looking at on a daily basis and trying to drive uh, kind of a more focused direction organizationally. Uh, but most importantly, I think, is the focus on the bedside team and the, and the people actually supporting those folks. And so the the well-being of the team is, is uh, as you know, uh, a big driver in how your clinical outcomes end up. And we've done a lot of work with that over the past several years in terms of instituting programs that support the team, a structured senior leader rounding that, uh, you know, every two weeks, each of us is out rounding on one or two designated units in a kind of a positive framework of, of rounding. And if you look, for instance, at our, our data from our score survey, which is the, the Vizient survey of culture safety, we had significant improvement in every domain during the pandemic. And I attribute a lot of that to the work that the team put forward in doing the support of the team with rounding. And even our burnout and resilience scores improved. And so that's something that I'm, I'm very proud of, but I think we need to kind of continue to grow that in 2024. If you, if you start slicing that data, um, there's opportunities, for instance, on night shifts on our weekends to make sure that we're focusing on that team as well uh, and supporting them in the work that they do and removing the pebbles from their shoes as, as they carry out the mission of the organization. Um, so that's one big thing going into 2024 is the continued support of the team uh, caring for the patients. Uh, another is continuing to work towards aligning all the elements of the organization, be it the care team members, the physicians, uh, the administration, the board of trustees in pursuing uh, goals that will drive us towards uh, ultimately pro basically providing the type of healthcare that we would all want for our loved ones in every instance. Uh, and so a journey to high reliability and elimination of preventable harm uh, will be a continued focus in 2024 that I'm very much looking forward to as well. One last question. You've had an exemplary career in terms of both 
leadership, as a physician, in this evolution of a career. And that's so important. Anybody that's our age understands how important that is to, to sort of long-term satisfaction of a career and maintaining a career for the long one without completely burning out and staying excited and focused and, and flexing and transitioning. Any advice that you would give to people in terms of emerging leaders or career development? Well, you know, I, I think one important thing is always to go back and focus on the reason you went into this work. Um, and I think that you'll find, I find fulfillment in, in helping others. Um, and, and I think that it's important to continually look for how you're connected to the work you're doing. Uh, you know, we start each meeting with a connection of purpose where one of the team members shares uh, what it is about the, you know, the most recent work that connects them to the mission of the organization. Uh, and I believe that that sort of daily um, approach of seeing the, the, the work you're doing of being aligned with why you chose this profession uh, is critically important in terms of helping you, uh, you know, continue on this journey to, to help others. I think that's one very important thing. Um, and, and the other is that you'll learn to, to recognizing that You'll learn from all sorts of different sources. Uh, you'll learn, I've learned many, uh, many wonderful things from a lot of the bedside team, uh, from people that work, uh, uh, you know, in, in some of my departments uh, and from mentors. Um, and uh, it's a continual learning journey. Um, every day I come in, you, I have no idea what to expect for the rest of that day. Uh, and there's gonna be unexpected events and you're gonna take them and learn from them and continue to move forward in a positive manner, I think is critically important. It's really amazing. The career that you've had in your perspective is just fantastic. Dr. Restrepo, I want to thank you for joining us again on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure to visit with you. And congratulations on going back and getting an engineering degree late in life. That's a tremendous commitment to lifelong learning, to curiosity, uh, and just tremendous perseverance. Amazing. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.